Welcome to Fresh Off the Plane with Hannah Smith. Let's get fresh. All right, I'm here with my friend Anna, who I met when I was teaching abroad in Thailand. And then she went on to teach in South Korea. And now she's in France, although currently in Austin, Texas, and was just in New York. So she's sleep deprived. I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> we'll see what happens today. How's it going, Anna? <laughs> Good. You're going to hear the raspy voice as a, as a testament to the track. Travels. <laughs> it's beautiful. You sound great. So like you've lived. <laughs> well, to start off, uh, I wanted to start with asking you, what was your personal journey towards deciding that you wanted to live and work abroad to begin with? Yeah, so I, um, I actually ended up getting my degree in multicultural education. I never thought I was going to be a teacher, but then I went to this alternative school and took a, took a teaching art to children class. Um, and the more I kind of dove into the world of education, the more I wanted to teach um, a more kind of comprehensive uh, form of education that kind of just encompasses a lot of different mentalities, a lot of different histories and perspective and voices. Um, so it was always really, really important to me that I didn't stay in the U.S. to teach. I didn't expect mm -hmm. to be abroad as long as I am but um yes. but yeah I that definitely was that. <laughs> that was definitely the 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 window into me wanting to to teach abroad it wasn't the kind of more typical I want to travel and teaching mm -hmm. as an option it was more I want to travel and I really want to teach in another country so it worked really well for me <laughs> and your was your first experience in France when you did the summer camp no, so my first experience was, it was called TAPIF, Teaching Assistant Program in France. And it's actually oh, okay. almost all Americans I meet in France have either come over through TAPIF or through um, school. And oh, then wow. they've managed to kind of stay because it's really hard for us to get visas mm -hmm. and stay there. Um, so I met a lot of people who had never taught or that was not mm -hmm. kind of their primary career path. Um, but yes. it was a great way for them to, to get into France. <laughs> yeah, you are a rare one that wanted to teach and travel because I was just, I'm like everybody else. I just wanted to travel and teaching was the means to an end. And now I'm a teacher. Yes. <laughs> it got me. But, uh, were you working in a public school in France through that or working with another teacher that was French? So basically what that program is, it's through the government and they just kind of place you wherever they want and have need. And you're technically an assistant. Um, however, I don't think I had one class that I like co-taught with a teacher. I just <laughs> had my own classes, but it really depended. I think some people co-taught, but for me, I was thrown into just, I worked at two different schools. Um, one of them was a high school. The other one was kind of a high school, but it was almost in between like high school and college where it's like a technical school. That so it was a much different population of students who a lot of them kind of felt like I don't need English because I'm just <laughs> going to go like be a mechanic in France. Mm -hmm. So, but I think some of them felt excited to have an American because I was in a very, very small town um, in the north of France. Yeah. <laughs> you might have been one of the only Americans they've met. Yeah. Yeah, and this the general stereotype that I got constantly were, um, why aren't you fat? Oh, because no. all Americans are fat, <laughs> which is like a backhanded uh, compliment. And we think all French people are skinny. <laughs> yes. 
my gosh. And then as soon as I told them I was vegetarian, they lost their minds as well because they were like, you don't uh, eat hamburgers? How is this possible? That's definitely something we're going to have to touch on because I forgot you're vegetarian. But just being abroad and being a vegetarian yes. in the different countries you've lived, has yes. that been easier in some places, more of a struggle in other countries? Yeah, I mean, that I've been a vegetarian since I was 10, so it's not like a, it's not going to change. She's an OG. She's not a, a, it's not a trend. Yes. <laughs> it's not a passing fad at this point uh, for yeah. me. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of times I entered into different countries and I felt kind of guilty because I understood like being a vegetarian is a privilege in some countries and that for families to provide you with meat or for people to provide you with meat can be like a big honor and um, it can be a big cultural exchange. And so I just kind of resulted to saying like, I, I'm allergic to a lot of, a lot of people because yeah. um, some people just really didn't understand like, I don't even eat fish. And so I would get like, I would get this level of, okay, you don't eat like steak, beef, but you eat chicken. And I'm like, no, I'm, I don't <laughs> eat chicken. And then like, okay, well then fish. And I'm like, not that either. It's funny how that I had friends that were vegetarians when living abroad and it, they would always be asked by locals like, oh, but you can have the fish, right? But fish is just not a meat in their minds. Yep. Yep. It's basically a vegetable. I will say Thailand is probably the most lax I ever got in terms of I started just at, I knew there was fish oil in things and that's something uh -huh. I usually avoided, but it got to a point where it was just kind of like I I was running out of options. So Oh yeah, the <laughs> so, fish sauce is in everything yeah. there. I didn't think yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh -huh. And that was something like I was very much like I don't want any kind of anything, but um that is something I did become a little bit more lax on where I was just like it can't be avoided and <laughs> how is it in France with eating meat because I know in Spain meat was a huge thing so I would think maybe France is similar it's exact yeah no it's <laughs> almost even I found it was easier in Spain than in France because at least in Spain they have tapas and stuff where you can mm -hmm. have some options in France it's like if you go out to eat it is to eat meat and like <laughs> <laughs> like oh it's just so difficult for them to understand and half the time it would be like I'd have to special order a salad or special order like a galette and chefs don't like you special ordering they like uh. to like present their menu that they've created um I will say that this has changed because hmm. oh when did I go to France I went to France in 2012 maybe I think maybe uh -huh. 2012 um and I've noticed a huge shift in that time like uh, to be fair, I've been in cities where it's a bit more flexible, but in general, there are like vegetarian restaurants popping up and wow. that did not exist for me before. Do you think that's just from more diversity coming into France or it's a trend right now? I, th I honestly think it's a, I do think it's a global kind of like people are starting to have a conversation about like global warming, the state of the climate, yes. environmentalism. And I think that it's becoming more of kind of like a global awareness because even people I know who have just been like avid meat eaters or kind of made fun of me for being vegetarian, a lot of them have started saying like, oh, I've reduced my meat intake or, oh, I've started eating a little bit more vegetarian. And so um, I do think that they're like kind of adapting a little bit as well. That's funny. I do think it is probably around the world because I've noticed a lot of guys I know here that are really kind of the bros that equate eating meat with like being a man. They were just having a conversation at this barbecue like, Beyond Burger is so great. I can eat a ton of those. I'm not even full. I don't feel sick. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? So I actually <laughs> tried one of those for the first time when I came here because I've been hearing a lot about them 
I did mm. not like it because it's, it reminds me too much of me. But so I think that's why a lot of people like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, what's funny is I don't like it either. I, I realized I like the vegetarian burgers are more like bean burgers or like, I like like a that's different my taste. <laughs> yes, that's like, my I favorite. Just have a real burger. Me. Yes. <laughs> but, but no, it's okay. true. I do, I do think there's a shift. And like, I think again, for French people, it's this mentality of like, if you're going to go and pay for a meal, you're going to mm. eat meat. Whereas already in the US, you can like go out to a restaurant and a lot of people might just like order vegetarian lasagna or something. Mm-hmm. So I do think that like, that's already been a little bit easier in the US. But I think yeah. it is like, yeah, this global thing that's starting to to shift a little bit. And I think in Asia, because of like Buddhist culture, vegetarianism is already kind of entwined in their culture. Even if a lot of people eat meat, like they see the mm-hmm. benefits of eating vegetables or not always eating meat or making yeah. dishes that don't have meat. Did you find that you could find a lot more dishes in South Korea or... So Thailand? in Thailand, I felt, especially in Thailand, that I could find things in South Korea is similar to the Spain mentality of like mm-hmm. the you know tiny dishes I forget what yes. they're called banchan banchan like yes yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. so yeah I I could um that I could have access to and like bibimbap of course I could I could mm. have that's the vegetarian's favorite <laughs> oh so good I miss it I miss it so much oh yeah but I will say it was harder than I was kind of expecting because I think again not having vegetarian, like not having meat is considered a little bit more like, well, why would you go out to eat? Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, like Korean barbecues are really big deal. Yeah. So <laughs> I would just like <laughs> eat the little lettuce pieces. And... At least I yeah, there's all those lettuce pieces to wrap the meat in, but <laughs> just eat the lettuce. That's so sad. <laughs> that was about it. <laughs> well, besides being a vegetarian in those different countries, what were some of the biggest differences for you with living in Europe and living in Asia? So, oh, it's hard to, <laughs> to like compact it, put it all together. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Europe, it's, I had traveled a lot, but living mm-hmm. abroad is a very different experience. And so mm-hmm. I think when I started living, I've always been like a Francophile. I've been very enamored and in love with France. Yeah. And even French people, I was the first person to kind of defend French people and be like, they are not rude. You just need to try. You don't need to come in and be like, speak my language. You know, you need to like, yes, at least have some respect. To, yeah. <laughs> However, living there, I got really frustrated and I had a lot of just like roadblocks and cultural differences. And I wrote a whole blog post about how they are really rude, but that it's, it's what we perceive rude from our lens. And for them, they perceive it as just honest and frank and upfront. And like, for example, a common exchange I have is like with Antoine, I'm like, you can't tell babies that they're ugly. And (laughs) he's like, well, why would I, why would I lie? Like, that's the truth. Like the baby's ugly. He says to a baby, you're ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Not to a baby. But like if a parent had a baby and and be like, oh, he wouldn't be like, oh, he might be like, oh. Like that that baby like has a big nose or that baby needs some sleep or that's a little bald or something. Like Oh my I wish we could do that here. <laughs> I wish we could do that here. Yeah, that's definitely I didn't know they were that honest in France. Wow. It's like they're I mean, I've literally had to kind of have conversations with Antoine to say, like, that doesn't look the best or like that that's not the most flattering on you or something, instead of just yeah. being like that make you look like a potato sack. Like, <laughs> I think that's an American issue, actually, is though that we are so fake. 
after living abroad, I'm like, everyone in America is just full of crap. (laughs) Well, I think that's been a very hard thing for me to let go of because I'm from freaking Texas. So Uh, like, we don't call ourselves full on the South, but you know, like that Southern hospitality that mm -hmm. like strangers will tell you their life story at the grocery store, you know? And so like, I grew up just being very open with people and and to me, that was very ingrained as being polite. And so I honestly think it took me leaving France to feel less angry towards France because yeah. I seriously was like, oh, this isn't a France problem. This is a being an American abroad problem. Like yeah. this is a, I'm used to certain things and I just need to realize that it's not a matter of being rude or not. It's just a matter of different ways of like yes. exchanging. And well, I think South Korea was a bit like that for me. And maybe it was for you where many people I know and myself included were like told about our appearances by our Korean coworkers. Mm-hmm. Like we were told if you we were getting a little fat or if you we weren't looking so good or like I was well aware that it was not my best looking day because my co-teacher would tell me. <laughs> yes. I will never forget. I came into work and my co-teacher, I think it was after the holidays or something. I hadn't seen her in a while. And I was like trying to catch up and say, how are you? And she kept being like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm fine. And she like kept interrupting me. Like, are you, are you sure you're not sick? And I'm like, <laughs> I like go to the bathroom to see what's wrong with my face. Cause I, I don't know, maybe I would like not put on as much makeup or something, but mm-hmm. you know, that's basically, yeah. It's saying like, you don't look well. <laughs> In, in Korea, sick like is crap. code word for like, you do not look good today. <laughs> yeah, you look like crap today. So. I figured that out pretty quickly. Because it was usually when I wasn't wearing makeup. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was a reoccurring theme with my friends and I. We would exchange stories of just like the ways we'd been told we looked like crap or our appearances were commented <laughs> yes. on. And, uh, did you have a more positive experience teaching in France or in South Korea or in Thailand? I know they're all quite different, but if you were going to recommend one to someone. I think uh, I've taught in like, I think it also really depends on the schools as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, I really, really loved uh, Thailand. And it's because I taught at an international school. We taught an international Mm -hmm. school. And I think that was the most aligned with my kind of pedagogy. And I got to have more control over my class and you know, I, like in South Korea, for example, um, I taught at two different schools, but one of the schools I had over 800 students and oh my gosh, (laughs) I was seeing them on a rotating, like some of them I would only see once a month. And so I didn't really get to like form a connection. Um, Mm -hmm. That school was also a a semi-private school. And even though it's technically illegal in Korea, um, Mm -hmm. they use corporal punishment. And I was not okay with that at all. Like, my naive ass was like they're carrying around these sticks and I thought they were using them to like point at things in the classrooms mm-hmm. and they use them to hit the kids and so yeah that was yeah. things like that where I was just like this is not this is so far from the kind of classroom environment I want to foster um mm-hmm. so while I liked a lot of things about Korea and a lot of things with like in with my students I also, yeah, didn't, couldn't stay that much longer because I was just like, this isn't, but I also think that's, it was the school. Part of that was the school. It really depends on the school you're in. Yeah, I was in a public school in Korea, but I also saw the stick being carried around and I was horrified at first. And then I kind of just like, was like, okay, that's the culture and I'm going to have them do push-ups when they're in trouble. But then I realized <laughs> I can't, they wouldn't 
care if I told them to do push-ups. They were like, <laughs> we know you won't ever touch us or hurt us. You're an American. Oh but, my gosh. Yeah, it was one of those cultural things that I kind of had to just like take out of my mind. And from what I saw, I was like, they do the hit on the hand, which I'm obviously not a fan of, but yeah, it's what they do there. Yeah. Um, and in Thailand, I taught kindergarten. So that was not the best for me because I don't think kindergarten is what I meant to teach. So I think it does matter what school you're at, what grade Absolutely. you're doing. Does it fit for you? People should think about that a bit before they go. Because I know before I went, I didn't really think about where I should be. I think that's true for me too. And like, I think I just every time was kind of like at the whim of them placing me. And so, so I mean, I, I know now what age groups I like. And I, I'm actually happy that I've taught basically from three to 40. Um, so, so I like know for certainty what I prefer. But I think for people just wanting to use teaching abroad as a way to travel, that's going to be a different lesson. They're not going to really know what age group to it teach. Can be, it can be a tough lesson. I did it that way and it, it can work out. Some people get through it. You should have, you should have some kind of interest with working with kids though, because I yeah. did have that. And I think that helps if it's not your favorite situation. Yes. I honestly, Some people go over, they don't like kids at all. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> that's what you're doing oh, yeah. all day. <laughs> I almost feel, again, it depends on the country and the school, but I almost feel like the older kids are probably better for people who haven't taught because mm -hmm. their English level is already at least on a more fundamental level of they'll understand if you try to say, don't do that or something. Yes. Where, yes. Definitely like recommend teaching. the older kids. Seven <laughs> I, actually, I love teaching older kids abroad. It's not really my jam in America, but I think that's because there's more respect from the older kids yeah. in Asia, I would say. And I think also, again, just think they understand more. Like I, okay, so I taught at a middle school and then I taught also at an elementary school. And at the elementary school, I had students who was their first time ever learning English. So they knew nothing. Um, and their, the co-teacher, unfortunately, just like was not helpful, was not good. And so mm -hmm. it was me trying to rein in these little seven-year-olds uh, who spoke no English. And even if I tried to speak any Korean, they would laugh at me. They just thought that was hilarious. So that was like more distracting for them. Oh, <laughs> and you know, you try your best. You try yep. your best. Yep. Uh, you mentioned Antoine and we didn't really give any idea of who Antoine is, but Antoine is your partner that you live with in France? Yes. Yeah. Correct? Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And yeah. I was wondering if you could give some insight on what it's like to have a French partner and is it the dream that American girls think it is? Because you know, it's like, for some reason in American culture, it's like a French man or like an Italian man. It's this romantic, yeah. like perfect thing. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> Tell us it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's many, it's many things. It's wonderful. It's frustrating. It's uh, adventurous. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, we met, we met in Boston. Um, so we, the foundation, the first two years of our relationship, we were speaking English. Um, so we've continued to speak English, which everyone kind of gives me shit about because they'll say, uh, he's your best resource that can help improve your French. But the fact of the matter mm -hmm. is it just feels weird for both of us, even him. Mm -hmm. So like all our inside jokes, all our little weird words that we make up, the things that we watch, it's all in English and mm -hmm. we'll try to speak French sometimes. And it just feels fake. It feels like we're just kind of playing a game. And it's very yeah, strange. Yeah, it must feel like a different person. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, but it was fascinating because I had another friend ask him about it. And even he mm -hmm. said, 
no, it feels weird to speak to her. And I thought that was fascinating because that's his native language, you know? Yes. And he still said that that feels weird for him. Um, but to be fair, he has a knack for languages. He is bilingual. He can like catch on. He'll learn a new word and ask you, what does that mean? And then yeah. turn around and start using it. Whereas I need to like repeat it, ask you five times, write it down, try to like use yeah. it in a sentence. Like it, it takes well, it's probably just more stressful for him to try to speak with you in French if it's yes because you probably go from this person that's fluent in English to someone who's struggling in French yeah. where he's like I don't have time to yes. listen to that's you what he said this too. Out. exactly he's <laughs> like I don't want to slow down I don't want to like maybe choose my vocabulary and I know here's the thing immersion really does work and it is the best way to, to learn mm -hmm. and I know that like we would adapt if that happened but yeah. there have been so many kind of roadblocks along the way that I didn't want to add that into our relationship. I didn't want to, yeah. you know, getting a visa and living there, um, that pops the romanticism out of things really quickly. <laughs> um, yes, the, the visa process sounds just insane. Not fun. <laughs> oh, I know you've had a lot of stress with it. And is that, what visa is that that you've been trying to work with? Well, so that's the other thing. So my visa is through our relationship. So we, oh, okay. um, so I had a visa through the TAPIF program, but the TAPIF pro program has gotten more and more whittled down. It used to be able to be there for a year, then it was nine months and they might be six or seven months now. Oh, wow. And you used okay. to immediately be able to reapply and stay there for another year, but it's so saturated that they then made you, you had to basically re-enter the population of everyone else applying. Like you didn't mm -hmm. get, um, I don't know, streamlined or prioritized. Uh, mm -hmm. So I did TAPI for one year and then uh, we got PAXED and that's basically like a civil union and it gives mm -hmm. me the right to live and work in France. But I've never heard it's of this. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's originated for same-sex couples, um, mm -hmm. but France being France, a lot of young people are using it. And by young, I mean most people in their mid to late 30s because French people don't get married until much, much later. Um, I love it. <laughs> and a lot, of them, a lot of them do paxing because it's kind of like an easier way of um, uniting, but not necessarily having to like go through the process of divorce and everything if you break up. Okay. So what are the benefits of it? Do you ha is there health care benefits through that? So I already had health care through the TAPIF program because it was a good okay government job. So that was really convenient, really helpful. I got my social security through there. And that also really helped streamline the PACS process because I, so France loves these fun loophole things where they're like, mm -hmm. so for example, PACSing there, we had to prove living together, but we weren't living together because I had to. <laughs> That's an issue. <laughs> yeah. Or like this second time around, um, you have to maybe, I had a friend who you have to have a bank account to get an apartment, but you have to have an address to open a bank account. And so it's just like, so she, ended, <laughs> she ended up staying with us so that she could have an address to then okay. open a bank account to then get an apartment. And it was just like, they do all these things where they're kind of catch 22s. And honestly, I have a, a French friend who's a social worker and she said, it's designed to trip you up. It's designed to kind of weed you out and be difficult. And half the time, um, if you don't get the answer you want, you need to just get in line again and maybe try to mm -hmm. talk to somebody else. And that seems common in many European countries. <laughs>
<laughs> it makes me think of Spain very much. <laughs> yes. Uh, so do, doing that visa as a couple, do people see that in France as like a big commitment like marriage or is it more like a means to an end? Um, I think it's mixed. Like, I think that when we did it, I didn't fully understand. I was just like, this is going to help me stay here and we'll navigate you know, the next steps. Uh, mm -hmm. But one of his friends like gave me a ring and like, oh, wow. uh, was like, <laughs> was like, congratulations. But we never had like a party. We never did like anything big because mm -hmm. we were really just treating it as like a, a means to an end. But I do know a lot of people that, or maybe not, but I do know that it, it can be, yeah, celebrated in the same way as a wedding would be, okay. but like a courthouse wedding, you know, like huh. not a big to do, but more like a we're going to dress up, maybe have a dinner mm -hmm. and have some champagne or something, but not, it's not the same. Cause then, so then the other side of it is France does the courthouse and you can't have an officiant. Mm -hmm. You can't, it's not like what we can do here where you can have a justice of the peace. Everything mm -hmm. stops at the courthouse. You have to go through there to get married. Um, even if you want a religious ceremony, you still have to go through the courthouse. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's very different. Um, Cause when, when France says that they're a secular country, they really mean it. A fun, <laughs> a fun tidbit I love to talk about is... Um, yes, go for it. <laughs> I, tr I tried to say to Antoine one time, um, well, yeah, well, we're secular. He's like, no, you're not. Like, you, swear, <laughs> you swear on the Bible in your court of law. And I'm, that's so ingrained to me that I was like, what do you guys swear on? And he's like, a book <laughs> of law. A book of law. Like, makes it makes sense. <laughs> Total sense. And so I was like, oh yeah, okay, that makes way more sense. I mean, if we just look at our Pledge of Allegiance, it yeah. includes oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. And that We're was only, not secular. That was only integrated around the 1950s as well, uh, around the Red oh, Scare really? time. Yeah, to try to like That's interesting. keep people uh, united against the communist wave. I mean, this goes off topic of dating, but now I'm thinking, I, I, always, I always see France as just doing things, I don't know, much more open-minded, but I, we've never had a president in the United States that has said like, I'm an atheist or I don't oh, no. really have a religion. Does that happen in France at all? Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, who was it? Was it Hollande? He was, I know that he was a socialist and um, I, I, maybe he was an atheist. I'm not positive, okay. but at least I think he, he wasn't like an adamant Christian. I mean, like, so France is, it is almost to a fault, which is why you'll see the other side of the coin of like how strict and harsh they are about head coverings. And, you know, mm. it's, it's kind of creating a dialogue right now about Islamophobia because it, there is an element of that absolutely at play, but then there is this like deep history of they were traumatized by religious wars and by basically not only monarchs, but by the church ruling the country and making all the decisions so that by the time the revolution happened, they were like, mm -mm, no monarchs, no church. You guys do not have the power anymore. And they okay. became really important to be about the, the people. Um, Which I can get behind that. But yeah. I, and you'll have to remind me, I know it was, it was a controversy in France with the headscarves. Weren't they saying that people cannot wear them? Yes. So, so yeah, they were saying they couldn't wear them. I think there was even one that was pretty messed up about um, women on the beach who were yes. like fully covered. Yes. And, and that I just, I still don't even understand what their justification of that was. Like, mm -hmm. 
in within the school systems they're at least trying to say like that's a standard policy no kind of no religious uh you know necklaces no kind of mm -hmm. paraphernalia i don't know if you call it that but like symbol symbols, symbols um of religion. but that's at the confusing same time, to me because it feels as though since they're not or since they're quite uh open to all religions that it would be fine if you need to wear something for your religion but then i guess they're seeing that as promoting a religion yeah so that so that's why i'm saying like they're secular almost to a fault like almost mm. to a point that it works against this idea of like unity because it's becoming kind of oppressive in terms of like yeah. well, we're gonna control what you can wear and how you express yourself according to your religion and Wow. So yeah, I mean that's that's a whole other kind of yeah. That's a cultural difference yeah, can, there that I wasn't worms. fully aware of. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean I've only become aware because I've been there as long as I have. But I also now teach a, a French culture class to oh. uh, foreign exchange students, so I've learned a lot more about the history. And um... so you're <laughs> teaching them about French culture. No, no, no. So because, <laughs> I was like, wait a second. It's, it's study abroad. So it's Erasmus students. So it's students coming uh, for their semester abroad, basically. And they're okay. students from all over. We have a lot of American students, but we have Russian, Azerbaijan, uh, Kazakhstan, Nepal, like we have students from all over. Um, and at first I was like, why am I teaching French culture? But, <laughs> yeah. but, but they were like, well, you know what it is to be a foreigner in France. Mm -hmm. So we want you to teach from that lens of knowing what it's like to live in another country and be that makes sense a foreigner in another country what are some of the main cultural differences that maybe those students notice or you just notice living in france compared with america or other places well, that's what i was about to say is it's fascinating depending on what country you're from because for mm -hmm. example when i'll teach certain things the americans will be like what the hell no that's crazy <laughs> but then the russians will be like yeah okay that like, <laughs> makes sense or yes. but then vice versa like because i i do things by subject so i do things about like kind of the history of the republic but then i do things about stereotype relationships with you know romantic friendship familial um food food culture things like that and so it's very fascinating because american food culture is very different and yeah um for I'd love example. to know some of the difference. Oh, you're going to go right into it. But like, I love food. So I'm like, tell me some of these food differences. <laughs> well, okay. So here's, here's a common thing people know, and I've even experienced is the like, if you've been to France, the rude waiter. And the difference <laughs> there is that it is a career. Like it's not just usually like a part-time thing you're doing to help get through school or an acting job or whatever. And not to say that people don't have it as a career in the US, but like on the whole, it is it's not only treated as a career, but it's financially supported like a career, you know, people are not working for tips to survive. And so it's a very different mentality of like the service industry in the US is all about like, first of all, speed, like we need to get the next table going, but also like, let me cater to your every possible need because that might get me more money. Whereas in France, they're like, I'll get to you when I need to. Like, I don't, I don't need to like check on you every few minutes and mm -hmm. you really kind of have to flag them down if you're in a rush or something. That's not yeah. an easy thing to do. Because you um, don't tip in France. You don't tip. No. Um, okay. Even, I was going to say maybe, maybe if you went to like a really good restaurant, but not really. I think it's considered weird uh, to them, but in Italy it is more that mentality. If you really enjoyed mm -hmm. the service, if it was really great, you might leave like a little something extra. But in France, it's almost okay. kind of seen as like, 
we don't need that, you know? Like, <laughs> is, is customer service in, in general in France like it is in America at all? Or is it just kind of, yeah, like, horrible. wait your turn. <laughs> I, and again, I'm saying it's horrible because I'm coming from the US mentality, but there are times my expat friends and I are all so frustrated <laughs> because, because they just don't care. They literally don't care. And they will like put you on hold forever or like be like, yeah, sucks like you know and for example <laughs> like um I remember working at a restaurant in the U.S. and it was 10 minutes to close and a person came in and we have to like reopen the mm -hmm. things we've been cleaning we have to feed them we have to cater to them in France if it if they close at 5 p.m. they're closed by like 4 50 everybody out like you need to yeah. you know um if it opens at 10 a.m., it opens maybe at like 10.05 or 10.10 or something. Like I can just imagine some American Karens going to France and being like, I will not be treated this way! <laughs> oh my gosh. Because it's just, it's, it's just a totally different mentality of like, I don't owe you shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I have these things that I can provide you and help you with, but like, I am not obligated to your like yeah. extreme needs. And, and it, it may frustrate you, but maybe you've noticed this now being back in the States for your visit, but I was terrified when I came back to the States because of like the over the top customer service. I was like, people are like smiling and talking to me so much and it was too much for me. <laughs> I think, I think I didn't get, um, I, I don't know. I definitely was like, I'm not put off by it, but taken aback. I was taken aback mm -hmm. where that felt different to me. Yeah, where I was like, oh, and like, I was just They like, wanna oh. know all about your day. I'm like, I don't even know you. <laughs> like, I think, I think for me again, I grew up with that already. So it was almost just like, this is familiar, but strange and like. <laughs> Texas is another world than California. When, when my New Yorker friend came down to visit, she was like, why are people waving? I don't know them. And I was like, that, you just like say hi to strangers. And like, yeah. but, but even me recently, like I was walking in the neighborhood with my mom and my mom was like saying hi. And I was like, you know, so many people. And she's like, no, you just, you say hi to people as you walk by. Like, yeah. Some guy just waved to me when I was at the library yesterday and I just waved back. And then afterwards I was like, what was that about? <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. Then I'm like, do I know him? Maybe not. <laughs> Very strange. Also, human interactions right now are just warped and weird anyways in yes. these times. So <laughs> COVID's made us all very socially awkward. <laughs> I went to a bar and I was like, I don't know how to do like I got really scared. I was like, I don't know how to do this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, and for for me, I mean, I know we're like talking about a billion different things, but the week <laughs> before I came here, we finished so well we had just finished our third confinement but we had just finished our curfew we finally mm -hmm. stopped having curfews and restaurants became open inside and they just said you didn't have to wear masks outside which was a really big oh, wow. deal for us we have wow, even outside oh yeah we've had masks outside since i don't even know last summer at least That's yeah intense. like the end of last summer you had to have them Ooh. outside um and I honestly think the only reason they stopped is because it was getting really hot and people were getting but how are the French people going to smoke <laughs> come on <laughs> stereotype oh, yeah. they'll find their ways they'll find their ways uh, well I know we have a, a short amount of time yeah. so to end our time together if you can think of just one story, some one story that is like a strange France experience <laughs> that you would like to share. Ooh, a strange, like a strange France experience? Yes. 
Oh, it could gosh. be uniquely French. It could just be something weird. You know, I like the weird stories. I know. I'm trying to think because <laughs> there are so many. There are so many I've had, and it's been such a like long period of time. It could even be focused on food because we were talking a bit about. I mean, yeah. most of the stuff, again, with food is just like the majority of the time uh, they they try and feed me a lot of meat and it takes a while <laughs> for them to understand. What, but I will say, uh, here's how I know I've become like franchified. How would I say Franchified. Franchified. I Franchified. You're French fried. French fried. There we go. Um, <laughs> there are a few things, but when it comes to food, um, on on average, we have at least five different kinds of cheeses in our fridge. On average, oh, like it's usually that more. Great. And another thing I do that like disgusts my students is um, <laughs> I cut I cut off the molds now. If it's moldy, I do not throw it away. I just like slice off the mold and I just keep eating the cheese. Okay, wait. You slice <laughs> off the mold, but you throw that part away. I throw that part away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, oh, but, I do that. But like, they're so disgusting disgusted because like as soon as you see mold they're like I think Americans are so like like food waste is a big thing where it's just like yeah this this is expired by a day like throw it away whereas like that's yeah. something I've become I see more. other people do that I think maybe just growing up in like like hippie home I don't do that <laughs> like it's yeah. fine like I'll take vegetables that are like half falling apart I'm like we'll throw it in a soup yes <laughs> That's definitely but, become my, my way a bit more. Um, I'm jealous I, of all the cheeses, though, because we usually just have, like, shredded cheddar. It's so boring. <laughs> that's it. However, I will say that when I come back, that's the thing I miss the most is sharp cheddar. Like, we do mm. not have – there's not an equivalent of, like, a good sharp cheddar in France. Um, uh, well, okay. Then I feel better about my cheddar. Now. <laughs> there you go. There <laughs> you go. <laughs> okay. This, is, this is, like, a stereotype that I was just thinking with, like, France and food. Well, would you eat? You would not eat escargot, would you? I didn't. I've had friends who do. And so the majority of the verdict on escargot is that it's uh -huh. fine. The escargot itself is not great. It's kind of chewy. But what makes it really good is um, the sauce. It's this like garlic butter sauce that's oh, yeah, just like gonna be good. seasoned with herbs. And like, that's what people really, really love. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's the like on the whole and so I've learned some fun facts about these things, actually, teaching my yes. class. So snails came out of wartime and a lack of food. Um, ah. So basically, it was a source of protein. It was available. Um, but sauces were already becoming kind of a, a part of cuisine at that time, like really focusing on sauces. And so they just started doing that together. And so it's funny because okay. it came out of this like very poor and desperate need. But it's now yeah. considered like fancy. I would love to know the history of that of, because I sense that it's like an expensive item at a French restaurant. How did that happen? And I don't know. I don't know where the where the progression happened of like why it became like haute cuisine. Um, and it could just be due to the sauce, but I, I, I should Maybe. learn that part of the history. I know the origin history. Maybe and it's just something French people were eating and then people were like, oh, that must be cool. And now they can just charge like a million dollars for a snail <laughs> and butter. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's uh, pretty basic. Like you don't have to do too, too much with it. Like, um, and the last thing I'll say about that too is frog's legs. So I learned about frog's Ooh, legs as well. And, um, that do, was due to monks. Monks like started a lot of food and alcohol trends. Um, and it's because oh. there was some 
time period of like a religious holiday period where they couldn't have any kind of meat, but there was a loophole because it said thing, it said, basically said like poultry, beef, pork, like it said all those things, but it uh-huh. didn't say amphibians. <laughs> And so it was basically just <laughs> or a mollusks. Loophole. It was just like it, it had all these statutes, but it didn't it didn't specify amphibians. And so once you look into the history of a country, you start to realize like we're all just so crazy. <laughs> on that note, Seriously. thank you for joining me, the French fried You're Anna. <laughs> I like that. Okay.